running is talk about the wellness piece to it. It's it saves a lot of lives in the sense of it gives people a purpose. It's so scalable. You don't need a court. You don't need five on five. You don't really need even good equipment. You can go out and run barefoot in the jeans I'm wearing right now. It won't be very comfortable, but you can do it. Welcome to Chill Track Friday. I'm Anne. Hello, hello. I'm Ali. <laughs> I've missed that hello, hello. We haven't done that. You haven't done that in a while. Maybe two know. weeks. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I try to do it every time, but sometimes I miss it. Yeah. Hello, hello to our listeners. How are you? Yeah, good, good. How? Oh. <laughs> I thought you were asking me how I am. I'm good. How are you, listeners? <laughs> Oh well, God. our listeners can't answer back immediately, so I was actually asking you, so that's okay. Oh, great. Okay. Uh, yeah. Um, so we've had some applicants to our contest, which is cool. I know. Uh, so to our listeners, if you haven't applied yet, and maybe we should give them some more details, right? So if you're listening to this for the first time, Chill Track Friday is having a contest where we would like you, uh, where we'd like to feature you as an athlete on our podcast. Um, someone, if you're running a fall marathon, we'd like to feature you and your journey. Um, all the details are on our Instagram page. Uh, so please go. And if it's something that appeals to you, um, absolutely apply. And we'd like to feature you on the podcast. Yeah. So just send an email to chilltrackfriday at gmail. Um, so we have a really great guest today. Um, do we say his name now or do we wait? <laughs> <laughs> Let's wait. I want, yeah, we can. You you wanted to talk about something interesting. Actually, we have we're having La Cologne coffee. <laughs> That's Everybody, why we're all over the map. We're a little bit all over the map because <laughs> this coffee is really strong. We're one and a half in and <laughs> it's iced iced it's oat milk latte at La Cologne. So good. Iced oat milk latte at La Cologne. Yeah, just repeating what I said. We're just totally amped up right now. So maybe we need to. <laughs> we'll regroup. Got, uh, I'm looking at the clock. It's been two minutes. I think we'll we'll find our groove in like about another minute or so. Yeah. Should we take a couple deep breaths and relax? <laughs> well, this episode has gotten us thinking about creation and design and seeing a vision and making it concrete and into something that's a reality, mm. which is something that we're trying to do right now, actually. So Ali is a user experience designer and I'm an art historian. And so we have this wonderfully compatible career intersection where we've been talking a lot about design and how where's the line between design and art and when is it purely design and when does it become art? Is it always both? And I think it's been wonderful to see you develop our branding because you have no limitations in this arena which is so wonderful yeah i we had a really interesting conversation about a week ago or not a few days ago where we talked about the difference where, where do you where do you draw the line between what's design and what's art and then um in my mind i think of design as creating something within certain constraints and i, I do that for my day job every single day right like there are technology constraints there are feasibility constraints, there's timing um, constraints, all sorts of things. And then I, everything I'm kind of creating, I'm trying to keep the person in mind who I'm creating for uh, to make sure that the, their needs are being met. But there are all these different constraints around it. I can only spend so much, the business can only spend so much money on it. So you're like, okay, all right, how do you work around those constraints? So you're constantly in the mo in this mode of kind of molding something, but then shifting it 
in a certain direction to meet those to fit within those constraints and i that's that's in my head that's the true essence of design mm-hmm. but i i think i crossed i i crossed the line into art when those constraints don't exist right when you don't have any of those constraints and i feel like chill track friday is that we have kind of no constraints in terms of like creating that branding or do you know we have a very specific vision on how we see it and then mm-hmm. all of that kind of just comes together collaboratively and that's that's true art form in terms of not having those constraints we also had the thought and argument about how you can still argue that even in even when you don't have constraints maybe you have latent or subconscious constraints because mm-hmm. you can only pull so whatever you're creating you're creating from your own experience right so you can't really but I think that gets more philosophical and yeah, deep. I'm definitely. kind of talking in terms of like really practical things of like actual constraints versus like, hey, just go do whatever, you know, whatever comes to mind. I think. Well, what's interesting is because even with something that we're creating, the question always remains, well, how can we make this for the people that we're trying to reach? Yeah. So it's not necessarily a constraint, but it's still a direction. Yeah. Whereas I think that if you're an artist creating something to put in a gallery, I mean, I can't speak for that, but I would say that there is a market drive there. So even though it is art, there's still constraints because if you're with a gallery and you, you want to stay on the roster, like you might have to kind of do that. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's a very, um, mm-hmm. there are, you know, I'm not, exhibiting in a gallery on my own, but I would imagine there's a lot of pressure to give the people what they want if that's what they're buying and this and that. And it takes like a true, I think the true artist is a real independent spirit who's able to kind of just stick with what they, what's in their soul. And, um, I don't know. It's as we're we're going (laughs) off on all these different tangents, it's an interesting conversation. Is that why so many artists are poor during their lifetime and then like after a certain time has passed and that might be certain times could be like 50 years 100 years after they're gone you realize you look at the work and you're like oh wait this is so indicative of the time even though it came through their lens and how they saw it but it's kind of reflective of what was happening and how, how oh, it was definitely. happening but in the moment like nobody kind of nobody kind of picked that up because and you, yeah. you think about it in any in any genre or um industry there's always an outlier who shows up we always say like before their time you know and i think of caravaggio in terms of art who he was doing all these amazingly realistic paintings but he was going against every quote rule that was imposed at the time and you know there's those outliers in running too you know yeah. it's like i mean roger bannister obviously is an outlier yeah. um so anyway, these are the things we discuss on Chill Drag Friday. Is, is Elliot Kipchoge an outlier? <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> I was thinking, I was looking through the um, the project that he's working on, the 159 project, yeah. and I was thinking to myself, I'm so grateful that I live in the lifetime that he is in, that we're sharing this experience and we're getting to witness this person who is, uh, I think he's going to do it. I think so too. I'm just so, yeah, it's, I, I don't want to say too much about that because it's just so incredible. I saw the first, they're, they're sort of following him around and doing a documentary as part of the series and they released the first like it's a 13 minute episode of like his downtime right now before yes. he starts preparing for it and that was kind of beautiful to watch how he <laughs> takes solace in nature and uh, oh, takes his downtime with his at, in, at his farm with the animals oh and his wife is so lovely <laughs> she's so lovely and I love the uh, the cows that he was given from his neighbor for winning Berlin and London and, London, <laughs> and yeah. then the cow peeked up over the <laughs> ledge <laughs> So cute. Anyway, so back to um, creating, creating things and facilitating advancement. I would say that our guest 
that we have today is a huge proponent and innovator. Um, can you tell us a little bit about who is our guest? Yeah, today we have John Honorkamp. I'll repeat that again. We have John Honorkamp with us. <laughs> um, so I, I have his CV in front of me, and I can kind of take seven, eight, nine minutes to read the whole thing and make him really uncomfortable listening to his own CV here. <laughs> Which we did. Which, <laughs> which we actually did. So this is like, so we're this like, this is the edited version. Yeah, this is the edited version. So we'll we're not going to do that. We're not going to put the listeners through that. But just if you don't, I mean. <laughs> Uh, okay, here here are some highlights, right? John has coached over 30,000 runners for New York City Marathon as well as thousands of outer runners for various races. So you'll you'll realize when he talks about how, you know, talks about his journey, how these numbers came about. He's coached uh, celebrities like Carly Kloss, uh, Daniel Hum, Nev Schulman, Caroline Wozniak, Apollo Ono. So he's mm. he's been with who's who. And let's see, what else? John has earned 12 Big East all academic accolades and was the youngest semifinalist in the 800 meters at the 1996 U.S. Olympic trials. Um, he's an eight-time top 10 finisher at the U.S. track and field national championships and a member of the American record-holding 4 by 1500 meter relay team. Some of his personal bests include... 147.26 at the 800 meters, 341.58 at the 1500 meters, and 401.3 at the mile. Woo! Yeah, wow. John. <laughs> um, he's the co-founder of the November Project NYC. Uh, pretty big deal. There's so much more about John, but I think we should let the let him tell a lot of that. But I want you to say something about his most recent project okay working on now well most recently john created and founded off the hook track club which is a local training group that is based out of red hook in brooklyn and he's also launched his rise and run program that launched at WeWork in 2018 and is expanding to the west coast and beyond in 2019 john joined the very well wellness board in march 2019 his clients include New Balance, WeWork, Make It Nice, Very Well, Daily Burn, Project Purple, and New York Roadrunners. Wow. Just makes me feel old. <laughs> I don't lead My all God, those things John. at once. I kind of give, give them, hand them over to someone else, and I start something else, typically. It's so cool. You're really a doer. It's really amazing. I fix things. I think I tweak things, and then I'm like, all right, I, I kind of get bored. I'm, I feel like I'm on this high school or college four, four year cycle where after three or four or five years I need to graduate to something mm -hmm. else and um, maybe that's a little bit of ADD in, to some capacity but um, yeah it's kind of it seems to be a pattern I also like to quit jobs before having jobs <laughs> um, which makes my parents um, and my wife more nervous but um, yeah it just kind of a, this kind of inertia in, within me that I need to do this and and I've been lucky enough to, or a lot of this is timing, like whether it's running or relationships or work, timing is a huge factor. My wife doesn't like to hear that because it should be like instant true love, but it's more like, well, it worked out for me. I was at a certain place in my life and then you were at a certain place in your life. It's not very romantic, but timing is a big part of a lot of this, whether yeah. it's your own fitness journeys, your relationships, and then even just your work kind of professional arc, I've realized like a certain certain trends or certain things that replicate each other in different formats um you know, i'm 43 so i'm not like you know that's relative to how old i am but i've been in the running community probably 35 years 
Wow. So I've come a long way within it and learned a lot from I've been around a lot of great coaches and, and other leaders in the sport. Again, part of that's timing and being in the right place at the right time. Some of it's a little bit of motivation or again like desire or you know interest in in exploring things and making an impact or you know contributing in some fashion did you know that you wanted to have your own consulting business when you started out in the work no i was running professionally for for years i all i cared about was running fast and making a team our olympic team and you know, work. You know, I went to, you know, went to college for. I got a full scholarship to St. John's. I was one of six kids, so I felt pretty obligated to take that scholarship because it, my parents were helping my other siblings out, and I was able to help myself out a little bit through athletics. And so I stayed local and got my education, which is super important. But I had no studied business and history and some education, but I had no just no understanding or, or interest. I was like, I wanted to be this. I had no idea. I just wanted to run fast. Mm-hmm. And then I got to a point where I could no longer run fast, or I was you know, older, getting slower, or mm-hmm. needed to make a living and not be a starving artist. And <laughs> then I started, you know, I dabbled with my parents, my dad's family business was established in 1871. So I was fifth generation. I joined that for three years where I was kind of like Tommy Boy, if you know that movie, where mm-hmm. like you, you know, you're like the... <laughs> Like the the son out of college, and you know, I, I had better than a D minus average, I think. But um, <laughs> but that reminded me of like you know the nepotism a little bit, nepotism mm-hmm. a little bit about joining that. But I felt like I needed to grow up, and I'm like, why? Well, I did business and family. I was I found that I was very passionate about the family and the family history, and the, but not necessarily the plywood and laminate we were selling. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I you know I coached, and I got I found I kind of created my own job at Roadrunners. Um, which was when I was at Roadrunners, I almost felt like there was the last piece of Roadrunners being more of a, a club right. than like in this huge organization, and it's evolved over the, over the years. Um, and that's definitely a kind of a, I think I've definitely in that transition, you, you, you kind of battle. You guys probably see this on the local team level where there's a lot of these old timers or been coming for years, and it used to be a club, and now it's an organization, and the battle that has of like trying to cater to the the folks that helped build the organization, well, the runners that were running the races every every week, week in and week out, to the larger organization that it's become. But the my department was kind of created by me. You know, I just kind of said, Mary Whitberg, get me in the door, I'll do stuff, was my pitch, and somehow it worked. Yeah. But I was able to operate almost as a, like a kind of a startup within Roadrunners because mm-hmm. I didn't really answer to anyone because no one really knew what I was doing. I just created stuff, and it seemed to work. And then I think it was the last kind of glimpse of, of, a, of the club part of New York Roadrunners. Can you tell us a little bit about your relationship with Matt Moran and developing the virtual trainer program? Yeah, absolutely. Matt Moran is a brilliant guy. I didn't realize how brilliant he was. He was actually my arch, one of my arch rivals in high school. Oh, wow. I went to, I'm from Long Island. I went to Chaminade High School, which was pretty well known in sports. And actually, it's probably a better academic school. I still wonder how I got in. Um, but Matt transferred into St. Anthony's from a private, from a public school his junior year, and he was a very good junior. And St. Anthony's and Chaminade were powerhouses in the area, especially in New York State. And even our juniors, our junior year, actually, we were, us, St. Anthony's and Bishop Ford were top 10 in the country in cross country. Wow. Um, and, you know, again, national rankings, state to state can kind of be arbitrary and based on, you know, certain courses. But Van Cortland, the most famous cross-country course in all the land. So it, it, it's, you know, it's ballpark, but it's but we're pretty good. Um, and then senior year, some of the, those other guys graduated, and I was the top guy on my team. Matt was one of the top guys on his team. And 
Um, so we just kind of competed against each other. I wouldn't say we hated each other, but I didn't really like St. Anthony's. <laughs> and um, I don't think he particularly liked Chaminade. But uh, after we graduated, he went to get his PhD at, P- at Penn State in exercise uh, science. I was running professionally for a couple of years. We crossed paths occasionally at like an alumni party or something in the city or holidays. And then over the years, we actually have collaborated on various things. We actually, before the virtual trainer was formed, Mm -hmm. uh, I worked with him on a, and I was, I was coaching college. He was coaching college and he created like, there was an issue with like with college recruiting. It's a pain in the neck. You almost Mm -hmm. don't want to do it, Mm -hmm. but you kind of need to. I, you know, I was recruiting shot put and long Mm -hmm. jump and, you know, not just distances that I, that I ran, but you have to document text messages and emails and who you call. And it's just a kind of it's just a pain. So Matt was so annoyed with the process, so he created a kind of a recruiting software, more just to help him manage mm-hmm. the process of, of logging all these. Mm-hmm. wasn't fancy, didn't look good necessarily, but it printed out reports that I was able, we were able to hand into our ads to document that we were doing all these things right. Wow. He just built it, <laughs> and even with his athletes, he came up with a a log system that's it was it's it's pretty advanced because if you're running in college. Mm-hmm. It's not like the people at Nessia group, some, most of the people at group training or some of the other groups that I coach, where they're just happy to be running, they're just a little bit of guidance, they don't even, might not know what a tempo run is or what interval training is. These are kids that ran in high school now that are competing in college. So right. he created a log where it allowed him to coach better because he could see what they were doing. And I learned this when I was coaching the virtual trainer, all the email I was doing. Mm-hmm. Sometimes people would write more than they would tell you. Mm-hmm. If I'm coaching you in person, you yeah. might be afraid for whatever reason to tell me that your, your knee's hurting. Right. But it, when you write your log and I'm able to see it, you uh-huh. might say, oh, shin's bothering me. Or maybe something personal that's going on in your life that you're not just, you know, not comfortable sharing. But you kind of open up the crack in, in, while you're writing. And I was able to kind of see more. But he also created a race prediction part of that for his college athletes, um, which was brilliant. Because it's, you know, these are people that, you know, they're training for the 5K or steeplechase or 10K and putting in long runs and, and interval training and rest periods and pretty technical. I think the, the, the virtual trainer is almost a dumbed down version of that now because it's, if you put all the stuff in that you run, it might screw up the prediction because of, you know, when you do intervals, you, you, you might, I don't stop my watch after I do a 400 meter repeat. Right. I just keep the watch going in two minutes, I start the next one. Right. Well, I might be running six minute pace, but it looks like I'm running eight minute pace right. because of the rest, stuff like that would, mm-hmm. would mess up the prediction. But if you're at an elite level, like a college runner, you were able to fill out the prediction or the training in a lot more intricate fashion. And that would predict a lot more accurately wow. for the 800 even, not just 5K, 10K. Distances can be, I feel, a little bit more aerobic stuff. I feel like is easier than the anaerobic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Matt's issue actually with, with those logs was like I was more of an 800 guy and I was testing it for him. If you were accurate with the 8 and 15 stuff, you were kind of way off with the 5 and 10. Huh. And if you were accurate with the 5 and 10, then they didn't have more. They didn't have a half or full okay. in, in college. They still don't. So it was more geared towards track and field. It was like he had a tough time. Like it's either all or one or the other. Mm-hmm. It's like, but if you usually were one or the other mm-hmm. in your you know, your concentration. So that's how I got to work with Matt it was more of a recruiting log. It had nothing to do with running other than that you were a runner. Right. It was more managing the recruiting process, uh-huh. which is pretty much the same with every sport. Some windows of recruiting start earlier, depending on the sport, like soccer might be sophomore year, whereas track is junior year to senior year. Um, but the, the concept of tracking text messages and phone calls and emails was generic. Toward, so he actually started selling that product to colleges. I, I bought it at St. John's. 
Penn State used it. Cortland State used it. His buddy at William & Mary used it. And he wasn't doing it to make money, although he probably made some money off it. He was just doing it to make his life easier, which is so... And then we actually... This company called Strands, which was almost like a fitness Facebook before Facebook existed. <laughs> um, didn't It was actually a money company, like money managing company, like a mint.com or something. Mm-hmm. But the owner, the CEO, this guy, Francisco, um, I got hired as like the East Coast marketing guy. Um, while I was coaching at St. John's, like during the summers and stuff. And I was also getting my MBA in marketing, so it kind of worked out. I was just kind of dabbling in, in several things. Um, he created a race prediction for that because the, the CEO of that company happened to be like a marathoner, Ironman guy. <laughs> and so he had this like pet project. So before the virtual trainer got started, Matt and I worked on several products like that. So when I was asked, well, the virtual trainer I just created because we, when I first got the Roadrunners, I told Mary Whitmer, get me in the door, I'll do stuff. Yeah. And actually, the funny story there is I knew Mary just from being a local runner and I was a faster runner and she just, you know, we crossed paths a lot. I'd helped her with a couple of projects with the, with the local competitive marathon mm-hmm. in 2005, 2006, and 2007. And I kind of got a, a peek at the marathon and the Roadrunners and the, the magnitude of it and the the journey of it and the excitement around the marathon because I was an 800 meter guy. Yeah. My uncle ran the marathon and he has his picture up on the wall in the den, the finish line. But That's I didn't awesome. know much about the marathon. I mean, my first marathon was when I was 35. Wow. And it wasn't even too, it wasn't competitive. It was more just to check a box. But uh, it was it, yeah, it was one of these things where I said, Mary, get me in the door. I'll, there's three things that only I can do that I'll do for you. I don't know what those are. And there's three things that only you can do here that you can't get to that I can do for you. So that's six things I can do for you. Anyway, I got into the building, and one of my first things was like figuring out. I didn't know anything about online training. All my coaches were like in person yelling at me or high-fiving me or giving me workouts and posting on the board on Mondays throughout the week. Very old school. So I didn't. I'm like, what's this? And so I, I, as I got to do research on it, I realized a lot of this was – very cookie cutter, small, medium, and large, mm-hmm. beginner, intermediate, advanced, which those terms are really archaic. Right. We have it. We have, in our industry, we insult all our six-hour marathoners. We just automatically assume they're beginner. Yeah. Well, I know three-hour marathoners that are don't know anything about running, mm-hmm. and I know seven-hour marathoners that are expert runners. They know a lot about running. It's just that their speed is not necessarily associated with it. So in our industry, we still do it today. I hate the term beginner and intermediate. Uh, mm-hmm. That's why the programs at Virtual Trainer are conservative, moderate, and advanced. I still don't love advanced, but I didn't. I couldn't come up with a, me and Matt couldn't come up with a, a phrase that kind of, you know, worked. I don't want to say competitive because a beginner could be competitive. Right. Mm-hmm. So anyway, point. Long story short, we basically. I this is when I had one boss at Roadrunners that was a consultant for a year, and this was like the last bit of it. I think being more of a club, I pitched. I go, listen, we have all this marathon results, Dad. We have splits. We can do race prediction. We could do like what Matt did for his college kids at Cortland. And what I did as kind of a test because I was competing a little bit still when I was when I, around this time. I wasn't national level, but maybe I was like more local. And I was running enough where I was doing workouts that I could put into the system. Mm-hmm. I pitched him. I said, listen, like all these programs out there are very cookie cutter. They're very generic. Like if I'm going to coach you, I need to know what you're doing, how you're feeling. I can't just give you the 16-week program that like I don't like there has to be interaction. Mm-hmm. And I said, we have all this data we can pull from and, and see how people run our race here in New York. And we could probably see trends. We can look at age demographics. We found out that I think it's the 45 to 49 females run the smartest. Mm-hmm. A lot of us idiot guys go out too fast, and even when it's hot, we we, we don't change our goals <laughs> and we run awful. <laughs> so you learn, you see all these trends, whether whether it's gender or age groups, and. 
but the guy, he saw the value in, 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 in the wellness piece of it. He goes, I love it, data, I go for it. I'm like, what? Wow. I'm like, I don't know how to do this. So I called Matt. Yeah. He had to fly out from, uh, I think he was in Denver or Austin. They had split offices. And I basically had to hand build, like, basically kind of what I'm doing with the, what we talked about earlier with the podcast. I'm not very technical. Uh, provide the content. I basically yeah. was like, we need that to there. Because it was, you know, it was a mm-hmm. whole 20 question survey yeah. that we had to come up with and that has to interact with the user experience. And mm-hmm. it was a lot of give and take of like, we can't do this. Oh, we don't have time to build that. Let's do this. And I spent like four weeks. I didn't even know it was going to be built in time. And we finished it on a Friday. And the next Monday was a 16-week start. <laughs> and we just launched it. But the wow. point is, I didn't. I only had one person at Roadrunner was saying, like, go do this. I love your idea. Mm-hmm. So the red tape that I had was very limited. I definitely had to present to the board. And Mary was there. And, oh, great. So, because I sold it. But I also didn't know what I was selling and what mm-hmm. it was going to. I knew the concept. Yeah. I knew I didn't like what was in the marketplace. But I didn't realize we were going to create this whole new platform. But the, the virtual trainer was really just like an opportunity. There was nothing that I liked in the market. Didn't really know much about it. Did some research. Had background with Matt. That knew that he could do something that would drive and be the engine behind this. Something that was sophisticated that anyone could use. And actually, the current race predictor is a dumbed-down version of the virtual mm-hmm. trainer. Mm-hmm. So looking back on it, it was basically like being in a startup, even though I was in the Roadrunner, um, you know, you know, the yeah. nonprofit kind of organization. Um, but I felt like it was a really unique opportunity to get stuff done. And then we just kind of did it, and now it's a thing. It's a huge thing. And what's amazing to me is that you launched this product, and you were the only person replying to all of the athletes. And the first year wasn't that bad because we had, I think, about 650 runners do it because we literally had no marketing. <laughs> it was like, hey, 16 weeks is today. Here's a program. Um, and I don't think it was much marketing to the previous program either, because they probably, you know, it wasn't like a big money thing. It was just more, yeah, we have to have this, check a box. Mm-hmm. And then and then it was basically, we had three tiers. It was like the virtual trainer, which was pretty customized. And if you logged, it would kind of evolve mm-hmm. and change, which was really, really kind of cool. Because yeah. as you know, training doesn't go as coaches. Yeah. Yeah. You're constantly being the detective and you have to change things on the fly. And yes. your workout's not going well because everyone's in lane one. <laughs> and we just talked about like a lot of things, weather, stresses, um, you know, um, schedule, family, work, there's all these things that get in the way of training. And uh, so the second year was the real the year, it's like the second, two through four, maybe second and third year for sure. The, the tiers were just the program itself. Then it was e-coaching, which was the second tier. And the third tier was just the second tier, but it had VIP perks weekend of, which mm-hmm. the tent at the start, as you guys all know, yeah. is a good perk. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was the only person. I didn't. I, me not being tech savvy, I was able to convince <laughs> Matt and to do this and Roadrunners to say yes through this guy Ross. Um, but then I was like, I have to answer email. I need a <laughs> tier. I didn't want to get on the phone with people because I knew that yeah. could be dangerous. Yes. I can't be, you know, like five minute call is like an hour. Yeah. Like you become a life coach. Yeah. So it's easy to do that so over email. My life. Yeah. So, but I was, I just said, okay, e-coaching. I just created an yeah. in- email account and it was like, um, I don't even know who was, might have been Coach John initially, but then it, it became a little more generic, like coaching staff. Mm-hmm. But I was doing all the coaching and I literally had no life because it's such an international race. Yeah. Towards like the heyday, at least for my part of it, it We'd be coaching 5,000 runners through the, for the virtual trainer. 1,000 had access to me. Wow. And I needed to keep track of these folks. So I created a folder in Outlook for every... And some people were doing other races. It was mainly the New York Roadrunner Marathon, NYC Marathon, and, like, and, then, and then the NYC Half and Brooklyn eventually. But 
there were some people training using it for, we had like a generic version that wasn't mm -hmm. as customized for New York, like you could use for Chicago. And yeah. so I had like New York, like 800 people, 900 people. And then I had Chicago, there's another 50 or 80. And, and so if you emailed me and said, my injury is better, I couldn't be like, yeah. what's your injury? Yeah. You'd be like, what? <laughs> you've been coaching me for eight weeks. You know, so yeah. I didn't, and as not being tech savvy, I needed a way to track this. So I literally just created, every time someone bought the program, like, you know, the launch yeah. would happen 16 okay. weeks out, 500 people would buy it. I would go in and see, okay, you paid $49. Okay, you don't need a folder. Oh, you paid $149. Oh, I knew that was a 12-week e-coach. Oh, you paid $174.99. Okay, that's a 16-week e-coach. Oh, wait, but that's Chicago. Move your folder over here. Wow. And eventually I had some interns and some assistant coaches to help out a little bit. But initially it was just me making it up. And the e-coaching part of it was very like manual. I mean, at the end I had, once I got everyone's folder up and running, uh -huh. I would enter your email and I would say whatever it was and I would put your email into your folder. I would just drag it. Okay. My goal was always to have nothing in my inbox. Mm -hmm. And I would wake up in the morning and there would be people from Australia and London that were asking about their long run that day. And I'd be like scrambling. Oh my god! So and, you know, and it's not something where I'll ask you an email on Friday and then we'll get back to you Monday. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like I had, to, I felt the the, the yeah. need. Yeah. And it, you know, to, to answer that right away. So if I was answering from the bottom up and say it was like six hours old, I would uh, I would get I would send you an email. I keep pointing to you. That doesn't mean I'm not coaching you. Yeah. But um, <laughs> I would send you an email, and sometimes I would actually get a really long-winded question. Right. And I would just re reply with like an answer to one of the questions. Yeah. But sometimes you needed that piece before you could answer the other pieces. Right. Yeah. But to be honest, sometimes I was like, I just I want them to know I'm here. Some of it's just like fluff. It's not even anything I'm answering. It's right. just like this commentary, right. which was helpful. But in the, with the volume, I was you know kind of stressed. But I would answer your question, and then I will go back to down below to, to try to cut to answer yes. the ones that were the, the, you know the oldest, mm -hmm. and then you would respond. So since I knew you were online, I would go up to your email and answer it. And they'd be like, is this automated? Wow. <laughs> wow. Because I just, and I would yeah. go to a bar and watch a football game or whatever. And I would just be on my phone because I could answer on my phone because it was all Outlook. Mm -hmm. And I literally had like not much of a life. And I definitely had carpal tunnel probably. But I just answered email. I also had other jobs. I did it with that Roadrunners. But uh -huh. I felt so attached to it because I helped yeah, create it. You helped create it. And I didn't cap it because it, you, you just kind of like send it out into the, the world. And now it's definitely, I mean, I came up with a program where I kind of analyzed it where it was 51 seconds per person that you had time to email, answer an email. Now, you might email me five times a week. You, you might never email me. Mm -hmm. So it was like the bell curve of 20% email all the time, 60% like once a week, and then 20% never. Mm -hmm. So I was definitely an all-time, all But I mean, <laughs> if, but I got to know you and your email. People would walk up to me at the expo. And they'd A's meet me because I didn't yeah. have, in the beginning, you didn't have videos. You didn't have, you didn't know what I looked like. And people would be like, I'm here to see John. And I'd be like, you know, at the time I'm 37 or something. And I'm like, oh, I'm Coach John. They're like, oh, I expected you to have like white hair and a beard. Because <laughs> like the person I'm coaching is 60, 70. Right. Yeah. And I'm like, well, I've been running for 30 years. And, yeah. but I, I'm like, oh, wait, Ann, okay, you know, your email is like, Zodiac Cat 23 and they're like how'd you know I'm like cause like yeah. <laughs> the people that emailed me a lot I just knew them by their email address right. obviously in their name I didn't yeah. know them by face yeah. and they didn't know me necessarily by face because it was in the, in the beginning of it but it's a great story to tell now but in the, in the time it was like I sold it and before I knew we could build it and it just happened cause it had to yeah um, I guess that's how things get done sometimes where you don't you don't have any choice it has to has to work even if it's like this archaic manual system and 
It's so good. So I, yeah, I could talk a lot about it. It might be worth having Matt on one of these days because, yeah. or both of us explaining both it. Of us. It's because incredible. Yeah. Between you two, it's like the subject matter expert, the project manager, the product manager, the everything, everything. in between. Uh, and making the technology work, that's incredible. It's just like you were this one thing that the rest of the weight was attached to it. And Matt had the, he, a PhD in exercise science, mm-hmm. and then he was also a brilliant coach, and he was a good runner. Mm-hmm. And then I can't, like, I'm not going to just look, you know, coding for dummies. Like, he did that, and he figured it out. I would have a, a, a tough time with that. So he was the guy... When I was doing the initial uh, um, user interface, like Matt just did the back end because we had Matt right. from Fitness to use, and mm-hmm. I had to build it with them. And so the guy that was building it, I was just telling him what made sense for runners uh-huh. because he was like a gaming guy, and he's like, I don't know, this works for like video games, but <laughs> doesn't necessarily work for like runner like thought yeah. and user experience mm-hmm. and where things go. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember on being on the phone about the race predictor talking to. Uh, TCS and they were, and I'd have these meetings every day and from India and I'd get to the office at 6 a.m. because of the time difference mm-hmm. and they I was just trying to convince them like why a negative split was important mm. I'm like if you run the second half of the race faster that's negative split but it's, it's a good thing and yeah. like why is this important I was like it's very important but like if you're not a runner or not yeah. a coach or like that's it's like ah, we don't need this and let's move on to something else so I'm like no 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 like we need this like so that's what it was really with Matt, he was like three, like talking about, like I was in the right place at the right time and like pulled the strings. But Matt was like, and then Matt, when Matt, I think this went away, Matt built the front end. So what you see today is mostly, I mean, there's some graphics done by some designers at Double Space on New York River Runners. But it, 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 and Matt's not a, like a user experience like expert. He just like, built it in a way that like cause mm-hmm. when, once Matt My Fitness went away Roadrunners is not like a tech company They're, yeah. they put on beautiful great events mm-hmm. right. they're not necessarily like an IT company uh, so but we needed to so he had to build something and in like two days he built something that at least was functional and with the idea yeah. that we would improve it over time with other people but mm-hmm. And as you know, the races go on. Like, so you have the marathon. Guess what? The NYC half sh- is like, re- like rotation or, or, or journey, come, training journey pops up. And then guess what? There's a week overlap between NYC half and Brooklyn. Yep. So there's never like, you know, it's just ongoing. It's on to the next. And then guess what? It's the next marathon cycle. I feel so honored to have come in on what I think is the early days of it, like 2012 mm-hmm. is when I first used it. Well, that's, part of it was just, just training in general is 2012. The Roadrunners was in a very tough situation with, the, with Sandy and the marathon getting canceled. And our whole staff, four days later, went to Staten Island. And that's when you really saw the devastation of it. Mm-hmm. If you're watching TV when it first happened, you know, I think we're always under the mindset of, like, show must go on. And news couldn't even get to the places that were so terrible. Mm-hmm. And as things came in, you're like, oh, wow, this is a way worse mm-hmm. than, it, than we thought and we knew. But I was in a, almost a, looking back on it, like the best case scenario if that's a, if, that, if that's if that's the thing with that um i literally i was having people thank me because they trained with me for 16 or 20 weeks lost 50 pounds came off blood pressure medication changed their lives and just because they don't have a medal around their neck that they don't automatically gain the weight back because they didn't run the race they don't have to take the blood pressure medication all of a sudden yeah. because they didn't run the race and i realized how important the training journey was it, way more important than the race itself mm-hmm. and I, I wish that Sandy didn't happen and we didn't the city didn't go through all that loss because obviously it was awful but as a coach coaching all these folks I always say life happens when you're training for a marathon yeah, and that was like a lesson which I didn't I wish I didn't have to learn because of the incident where people lost lives and it was, mm-hmm. it was, it was a tragedy 
but it really hit home like wow like training is not just about the race itself that's actually like the carrot the dangles and the metal is great to put on your wall on the picture that's in my uncle's den in 19 from 1983 which helped inspire me to run as a seven-year-old is great but it's the everyday training in the rain skipping the party because you have a long run um, you know, people had babies when they were training for the marathon, or got pregnant more likely, uh, got fired, got divorced. Like all these highs and lows of people's lives happened when they were training in those four or five months. And the marathon was almost, I'm not saying it's, you know, it's not important because it is to kind of finish, but I was really not expecting the, like, the outpouring of thank yous that I got as a coach in that really tough time. And that really made me appreciate the training journey. And I used to say training journey sounds so cheesy, but it's it's true. There, there's this yeah. transformation, whether you're losing weight, you're getting more self-confidence, you're doing something that you, and I always say marathon, training for a marathon is way cheaper than buying a Ferrari when you're going through, if you're going through a midlife <laughs> yeah. crisis. Yeah. It's, it's like, yeah, it's you know, marathon's a couple hundred bucks and the running shoes and you know, then all this fancy gear. Okay. But anyway, <laughs> talks about like the adversity that you, you come, in terms within in your life whether that's personal or work or combination and running is talking about the wellness piece to it it's it saves a lot of lives in the sense of it gives people a purpose it's so scalable you don't need a court you don't need five on five you don't really need even good equipment you can go out and run barefoot in the jeans i'm wearing right now it won't be very comfortable but you can do it <laughs> yeah. and there's a lot of um a lot of it's the mental barrier to starting to run it's not the physical well, i mean it's the physical mm-hmm condition that you have to kind of overcome like shin splints and side stitches but i think i just went on a huge tangent about it i think the 2012 when you first started using it that was a huge lesson which i'm I'm glad i got even though i was in fortunate circumstances but you definitely were like the first year that it was um and it's kind of in its you know early infancy but it was actually like a thing yeah i loved it i remember i got some emails back from matt a couple times and you definitely you helped me with pretty much everything, starting running and pacing myself. And you sent me to Claudia when I had an injury. Um, And I remember you, yeah, I mean, you were just really supportive. I didn't know you, I hadn't met you yet, but you were very supportive and I was PRing in my half marathons. And you were like, that's amazing, that's so great. (laughs) It was really supportive. And then I did it again, and then I did it again. And And now you're you're coaching. Now I'm coaching. (laughs) You know, so it's, yeah, it's one of these things where, I mean, group training started, and there's a group in Brooklyn, and now they have their own team because yeah. they're like, all right, it's setting up a structure. Yeah. People live in a certain area. They, they like to work out at 6 a.m. because 6.30 was too late for them. Right. And now they're the Brooklyn Rogues. Yeah. And they just took oh, one class, so cool. and they're like, all right. So it's really great to empower. Yeah. Not everyone has to become a coach. Right. But you get confidence to do whatever that is, you know, whether it's a work thing or a work risk. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's, it's fun. I mean, I also... I was only getting slower, <laughs> and I mean, because I was a competitive athlete yeah. of track and field, and even the marathon, even though it was my first marathon, I only raced like one or two marathons for myself, which I guess the Berlin is the last probably one. Yeah, I think you'll <laughs> is that ask the last me, one you <laughs> Yeah, you'll probably ask about me that about later, but um, yeah, I mean, it was fun to live vicariously through all these athletes that were getting better. Like, mm-hmm. to be honest, to coach someone who's new to running, whether it's new for the first time or they had a couple kids or they got married or they went back to school or whatever reason why they weren't able to get but they were used to be a runner and now they're not i always say everyone's a runner so people just choose not to run so if whether you've chosen not to run up until this time or you ran and took a break and now you're coming back to it for whatever reason um 
everyone's a runner and it's just but it's really kind of it's pretty easy to get someone better you've probably noticed this in group training someone's new they could be in their 60s -hmm. and they start running three days a week versus zero they maybe start watching what they eat they someone's pushing them in the workout so they're kind of getting Mm -hmm. out of their comfort zone and in four months they went from running 30 minutes from the 5k to 25 minutes And it's like, that's pretty exciting. I can't do that anymore. I can't PR by five minutes um, in anything. Um, That's pretty much what happened to me within like less than a year. It's just like, it's addicting. It actually could actually get you injured if you get over a board. So your your coach has to reel you in versus motivate you. Um, But it's fun watching you PR every week. I'm like, I love It's really not hard. As you get faster and you get more into it, 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 you have to tweak more things and and be more scientific about it. But... Just getting out there once a week and doing interval training, it will make everyone faster as long as they stay healthy and they do it in a yeah. fashion where they're allowing themselves to recover and listening to their body, which is not an overnight, you know, what's an injury versus right. what's sore. Yeah. I can't, it's tough for me to teach you that until you actually get almost get injured or, yes. or, you know, or you have to like get on the bike for a week or so because it's just you figuring out what that means. It's true. It's so personal. You met, you touched very briefly on um, helping people get through the barriers to starting. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Like what you've come across in terms of helping to motivate people to take that first step? Yeah. It's, I mean, I started a group, running group recently at um, WeWork because I was like, oh, this co- company is crushing it. They're in 100 countries and mm-hmm. running is so scalable. Like in my business now, I consult mainly in fitness, mainly with running as the platform because of the lot having the physical barriers needed of having a court to rent even in the city you might need a permit but like i've never really gotten one i just kind of figure it out um and we're running from place to place so it's like kind of tougher to even manage but it's um so group training obviously is good for accountability and motivation like the toughest part is joining the group the first time signing up for a class that's it for part one head on over to part two where we continue the conversation with john honorkamp